Welcome to Moment Talk. I'm your host, Shi Samoa. We are on episode 8, and this episode is about domestic violence. This gentleman has been working in this field for quite a long time now. His name? Peng Tao. He's the director of Men Forward, and he's based out of Twin City, Minnesota. His sector is about gender, justice, LGBTQ rights. Peng Tao works at the intersection of building communities, organizing community, and mental health. He is committed to create new masculine and male practices that will not marginalize women, girls, LGBTQ, gender, non-conforming folks, and limit boys and men's full expressions. He has done numerous trainings and technical assistance to several local, national, and international organizations on gender-based violence, including domestic violence, sex trafficking, and sexual violence. He is the founder and director of Man Forward, local organization based out of Twin City, Minnesota, that works toward developing new practice, masculinity, and manhood with men, boys, and masculine identities to promote gender equity. Peng also coordinates the Minnesota statewide engagement of the men and um, mas- masculine folks networks, a collaborative network of many community organizations and individuals. As a mental health practitioner, Peng supports and works with LGBTQ and gender non-conforming youth, families, and couples, men who have committed sexual violence and founded a domestic violence Hmong men program called Jingdeng Yo. Lastly, he served as a trustee on the Minnesota Women's Foundation and in 2018, Bush Fellows. But first, let's thank our sponsors. Today's sponsor is brought to you by She Sells Menswear. Are you looking for the latest trendy men's fashion? Look no further. She Sells Menswear carries handcrafted bow ties, ties, suit accessories, and everyday streetwear. They're your one-stop, mall-inspired men's shop. You can search them online at www xixomenswear.com now let's get back to the show we are super excited guys on the other side we have Peng from minnesota he's been uh in the field for quite a while and he's gonna have a lot to say and we are all super excited Peng, how's your day going good good thank you for having me thank you so much for coming on and spending the uh, evening with us having this chat Thank you. Um, no, you're gonna, we're going to go right into it, man. It's, and we named this topic Raw Truth About Domestic Violence. Now, Peng, can you define domestic violence and abuse and sexual assault? Yeah, so um, I think what they tend to look at is for domestic violence is they tend to look at uh, what the pattern of abuse looks like in in an intimate relationship uh, between uh, two people, two individuals, and then uh, whether that be like physical abuse, whether it be emotional abuse, whether it be financial abuse. Uh, so it's just more than physical, but I think in like in our community, we always tend to think of domestic violence as physical abuse. So like that would be the only way in which, and then the law sort of defines it that way too. But like for those of us who are, and have been doing this work, we look at domestic violence as uh, not just physical abuse only, but like emotional, uh, psychological abuse, all the other forms of abuse that actually aren't seen or thought about. But it's a pattern of like just somebody trying to actually like be in a position of power and be in a position of control to sort of force the other party or their partners to actually do what it is that they want them to do over a period of years or time um, in that relationship. And it could also include when we're talking about like dating relationship it could also include like checking up on your partner constantly texting them where are you at it's five o'clock why aren't you home um or it's 12 o'clock who are you with and what are you doing at this moment like it could be as subtle as like asking the question of what are you doing uh like three times or five times out of the day or in the week uh sexual violence itself is a little bit different because sometimes we can see it as it's really about um in the moment and really about power and control of like somebody is trying to like be in a position where they're like this is what i want to see happen and this is what i need to do and i can do it and i'm thinking about it in the context of generally um 
uh, person who has some positional position over another person uh, and being able to say, I, my needs, I need to get my needs met or um, this is how I want to actually experience this at this moment with somebody. So sexual violence is a little bit more challenging to actually like um, really hone down on like what it is, but it's for sexual violence, it's really also about power uh, and control in it as well too. Um, and the ability to just like touch somebody because it's, it's much more deeper than that because it's also about like people's touch needs. It's also about sexuality. It's also about like intimacy and what that really looks like. Um, and therefore, I think in our community, we oftentimes think that because we're married, that sexual violence doesn't actually happen in marriages and marital rape can't happen, but marital rape does happen when you're actually forcing somebody and touching somebody and sleeping with and forcing somebody to have sex with you when they actually don't want to have sex with you, right? Mm -hmm. so I, I think that that's like the nutshell of it. You know? Yeah, it's it's a very broad subject and that's could almost go on its own episode. Right. Now, 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 what are the nuances about domestic violence and sexual violence as it looks like in our community? So I think um, because in the community that we live in, right, um, where when we look at these issues, we don't talk about like, oh, this is like white people are doing this or this is what other communities are doing. This is what uh, then therefore we should do that. And I think sometimes we get into those conversations about like, these are like cultural practices. Um, but like, I'll tell you this, um, is that there's no community in the world and no culture in the world that actually says violence is actually a part of their community. Because it's actually a learned behavior. People choose to enact the violence people. And it's a way to actually like sort of again, control people um, and put people into their positions. So in the Hmong community, um, part of it is like, uh, we, will, we will see like people not leave relationships when it's so toxic and it's not healthy, right? Um, people don't leave it because, not just because they don't want to leave it, because they, have, they know and understand what will happen. So for many Hmong women, we understand that they don't leave relationships because there's like, um, I will be ostracized in community. People will shame me. People will be like, it's my fault that I left, right? Um, I, I may have been the one who cheated. That's why I left the relationship. Uh, that's why you're leaving the relationship. You're the one at fault for what happened in the relationship. So she gets blamed for a lot of things. So that contributes to her not leaving the relationship. Um, I think the other part of it is also that uh, you have more than one uh, person who's actually doing and supporting the abuse that's actually happening the in the family, right? So it's just not about the couple, but it's also like the mother-in-law, uh, the mother or the father-in-law or the father or the uncles are always saying, right? That's mm, what I was going to say exact same thing. Right? Uh, like, right? It'll, and it'll work out or you only need to do you you need to probably do these things and then he'll act differently. But like, she's tried all of that already. By the time she's come to you all, she's tried all of that already. And she's saying, help me because I've tried all those things already. It's not that she hasn't tried all those things. She's come up with all those solutions, but it hasn't worked because it's not about that. It's about him saying, you need to do these things and do it this way because if you don't do it this way, then I'm going to make sure that you understand why, when you say no to me, this is what's going to happen, right? Um, and sometimes he may not know what that is either, what he wants either, because we have many men who come into my domestic violence group who actually have really have no clue about what he wants in the first place. But yet he keeps wanting people to walk on eggshells and saying, what you're doing, do it this way. And then tomorrow he's like, do it that way, because right? Um, and, but he wants, yet he expects other people to do it for him. Uh, I, mean, so, so I, we could, I could just see oh. like how much a woman could endure this for so, so long. Ocean day, right? In translation, be patient, you know. But in some scenarios, well, recent ones, it lead to a fatality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that that's where it goes, is that I think that 
Uh, and then we all contribute to that. But then at the end of it, we say that, oh, he's the one who made that decision. Uh, and everybody in the family knows that the homicide might happen or that he's threatening to kill her, but everybody is not taking it seriously. We have to start taking threats very seriously. And even when we, you know, going a little bit uh, off subject, but in connection to it, it's like a couple of years ago here in Minnesota where the father had killed the son, right? It was because of domestic violence. It wasn't because of like the dad and the son talking over a phone bill. That's the main narrative in mainstream community. But like in the home community, we knew very well as the fa- the son saying, dad, you need to be a better father for us. Why are you having these, why are you wanting to talk to these 15, 16 year old girls overseas, right? It's, it's a manifestation of abusive international marriages and relationships that we've seen in our community where older men are having relationships with young women and girls overseas in Laos and Thailand. And he's telling his dad to step up and be a better dad and be a better husband. Uh, and the father every day was like, you're going to be the first person I kill if I'm going to kill somebody in this home, right? Because right? and you're not mm. doing what I'm asking you to do. And nobody took that seriously. Everybody was just like, oh, he's just playing. He's just playing. And then one day he enacted it. And I think that we all know when he's making the threats and I'm saying him a lot because uh, a lot of the times it is men who commit the murders. And when women do commit the murder and do murder their partners, it's because most of the time, 90, 80% of the time, it's because they've had enough um, of what, of his violence and they can't stop it. Nobody else is going to stop it. And so she's like, I'm just going to have to stop it myself. And that is through killing him. So like we always, there's always tons of stats out there about women who are incarcerated and 80, 90% of women who are incarcerated is a result of being experiencing sexual violence or because of domestic violence. That's why they're incarcerated, not because of drugs, not because of alcohol. Majority of the reason 80 to 90% of the time it's because of domestic violence, because they fought back, because they killed their husband, because uh, they killed the person who was trying to rape them. Now, can you help us understand the root cause of domestic violence and sexual violence? Of why the perpetrator do what they do? Please elaborate on that. Yeah, so I think um, there there's so many like surface issues when domestic violence happens, right? Because we were like, did cheating happen? And was it a uh, did somebody not do something? Like the, all those are like just the surface level stuff that we see but like the root of it when we look at domestic violence it's really about like how do we raise our boys to be men in these very rigid notions and ideas of what it means to be a man of like you're the head of the household you know all those things right and and like boys don't even know what it means to be a man, but then I got five, he's expected to know how to act and behave like a man at five years old. And he's and when you tell a boy to stop crying when he's five or six or seven, he learns to hide his emotions as he grows up and he learns to say that boys don't cry. And I use my son as an example oftentimes is that if I didn't know what I knew, then he would be one of those men that grows up and isn't in touch with his emotions. And so what we do is we emotionally isolate our boys in our the socialization process of it. And so um, what happens is that then he grows up not being emotionally attached to anybody or to his own emotions. And then to not to say that that's the root cause of it, but he seeks that out in other people because he was taught that other people would take care of him and take care of his emotions for him. And that the only emotions that he's actually able to let out is anger. And, uh, and that's about it. Uh, and that people will care for that anger too, but that people will give them love, people will give them food and all of those things. And so part of it to us is it's really about this dynamic about how we taught men to relate to boys and how boys relate to men and how boys and girls relate to each other and how women and girls relate to each other and how uh, women and boys relate to one another. And so there's a power dynamic there of like, if you're a boy or a man, uh, you're seen and you're heard in the community, and you become visible and you're lifted up and your experiences are actually lifted up. And if you're a girl and a woman, 
uh, it tends to be that your experiences become shunned and invisible and you don't, you no longer become, you know, you don't get to be an individual. And that, and that the other thing is that those are the only two genders in the community and that there's no other gender in the community besides that. And so it's, it's an act, the violence is in acting people to actually play out those gender roles. Like we're forcing people to behave like a woman, behave like a man. And if you don't behave like a woman, you don't behave like a man, uh, we're going to make sure that you do through the action of violence. Uh, so in the nutshell, that's what it is uh, in terms of the, some of the root causes. And then you have practices in the community that contribute to the violence, right? Uh, of like uh, daughters are always thought about and believed to like marry outside of the family. So therefore they're always treated as somebody who's outside of the family. Uh, and then like um, when the weddings happen, we're always talking about like daughters are given away or right for the daughters and uh, then that contributes to the practice of the violence that we see towards women and girls in the community as well. So there's beliefs about women's position in community and where they belong and then beliefs about where men belong and those beliefs then contribute to the violence that we see when people don't stay in those positions and those places. And men do it to men too. The violence that men experience to each other, they do it to each other. It's like, if you aren't man enough and I'm not, uh, and I'm the more uh, manly man, I'm going to make sure that you uh, behave and that you act like a man here, right? And I'm going to make sure I tell you how to be a man. Uh, I see, I see. No. And obviously the homophobia uh, comes into play with that as well too, right? Uh, of like, you shouldn't touch other men and you shouldn't be intimate with other men. Now let's let's go back about Ocean Day. Please mm -hmm. be patient, right? Mm -hmm. Now, because all you said and 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 is a great facts, and and now that many times the victim don't leave the situation. Why is that? They is don't it, because you know? they know that they know what's going to happen to them in the community. They won't get protection anymore. So as abusive as the marriage is or the relationships is. There's accountability where the family has to actually protect her from that abuse in some ways. And so if she leaves now, she will be ostracized from not only the family, but the community as well. And now she's going to get the name of, oh, she'll get blamed for all of that. And she will have to carry that for the rest of her life. That name, that title. Uh, and... And then the other part of it, you know, when we're thinking about like uh, the mothers in our uh, families and the grandmothers in our family of like why they just stay in the marriage, even though the marriage isn't like well or is it, there's abuse in it. They just stay because uh, at the end of their life, they don't know where they're going to be, how they're going to be buried and what's um, and who's going to take care of their burial. And so there's a fear of like, if I don't stay with my family, if I don't have a husband, or if I don't have sons to take care of me, who then is going to take care of my burial for me and go through the ritual for me? If, right. Or they would have to then choose like Christianity. And we've seen some women choose um, faith and or choose God and Jesus, but then they just choose it just so that they have an, uh, some relief of like knowing where they're going to go after death, right? But and they don't know and they don't relate to God or Jesus in any way at all. They're just choosing it just to help them have some relief only. Um, and they stay because every they they stay because there's no support out there. They know that once they leave the relationship, there's no support out there. Their family is not going to fully support them because there's a belief in a tradition in the Hmong community where it's like, you can't come and live with your family. Yep, don't come back. Yep. Right, don't and you can't, you can't be with them. And so your family doesn't want either and then when you died like your family's like well it's not we can't bury you you know so there's all these nuanced complications that it, it isn't as easy as like why didn't you just leave she has she may not be financially um independent because he was always providing and he was always controlling the money and she has no skills outside of the home other than being a mom and people won't see that right um and then it's also about the kids as well, too, of like, 
she isn't just going to leave by herself. The kids are going to come with her because it's her kids and she would want to take care of them because she knows that he's not going to take care of the kids. Even though he wants to be in relationship with the kids, we've seen it in some relationships where men use the children as a way to continuously abuse her and control her and tell her what to do, even after they've been divorced. Now, these results, you know, causing these women to not come back home because they're not allowed to come back. And you are right at some point of that, they would choose a different religion because, you know, let's say if you go to a Christian, that seemed like that's just a, a way to have a family that they'll go to. Mm-hmm. Part of you know, right. even though may they may or may not believe the religion, it's like a place to go. Right. It's sad and you know, it's very sad. Yeah, it's not uh, because for men they can choose to leave, but they'll still have support. They'll still have community. So even for the young men that are married from overseas, um, and they divorce the woman here that they married. They get support in community. Because we have the last names, we are going to be here to support each other. But for the woman, it's like if you come here and you are isolated from and you're living by yourself and you divorce from them, oh, who told you not to come to do you are on your own. It is such like a hypocrite as, you know, as in kind of like, why didn't you tell us about this? But at the same time, it happened already. Like, you know, where's, where is she going to go, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why right. we see so many women leave from community to community because uh, everybody's going to stare and going to be like, oh, and see behind her back, right? Mm. Now, Peng, y- y- your work, it's you've been doing this for quite a while in domestic violence. You've mm-hmm. written articles, you work alongside women and the other organization to end domestic violence. Dude, like seriously, where does this passion come from? Um, I think it's a real deep invested commitment in wanting to see our community in a different place, but it's also uh, the valuing, like, because I was taught, just as you were, to not value the lives of women and girls. That's why we could actually kill women, right? Um, Mm. It's because we were taught as boys and men not to value the lives of women and girls and queer folks. Like, therefore, then we can therefore kill them, right? and I'm not just saying that because, like, if you were socialized that way or, like, in the military, when you're trained to, to kill somebody, that's what happens is you no longer look at them as a human being. You, you start to undervalue their worth as a person because you have to actually see them as something else to actually then be able to kill them, right? Um, and so that... Uh, there was an investment on my end eventually I think it got and you know perhaps being raised in a home full of girls also helped me and then I think the other part of it is also like I know it's not about it's also about me at the end because it's also about freeing myself from the rigid ideas of what it means to be a man and what it means to be masculine and that I could fully express and I could fully say and show like no men can be other ways too and men can be supportive and men can be loving and caring. And though we have those men in communities who are loving and caring, um, there's not enough visible examples of how to actually relate to that um, in very healthy ways where they can choose not to uh, be violent, where they can choose not to harm other people. Because uh, we've been taught all our lives that um, in order to get what we want uh, is to actually enact the violence, then we'll get what we want, right? By yes. anger, right? Yes. If I could yep. just be upset and yell loudly, then I'll get what I want because mom will give it to me or dad will give it to me or my sisters will give it to me. And so I think it comes with the investment of valuing the lives of women and girls and really knowing that if if their lives become better, then my life will be better because then I, therefore, then won't be having to act like 
a gentleman, quote unquote, or, or like manly in the way that they want me to act and behave, right? Yeah. Um, and that's the same thing. I always, this is the parallel uh, that I always tell people is it's just the same thing we think about for white people. It's like you want a really good white person, quote unquote, a person who's actually trying to dismantle and deconstruct white supremacy and racism every day. Um, and knowing that if they do that, then not only your life as a person of color is going to be better, but their life as a white person is going to be better as well. You know, so it's actually much more uh, broader and deeper uh, than than just like my own passion for it, uh, because it's like a way of living and understanding that um, I want a different world, not only just for my kids, you know, but like for the people that I'm in relationship with at this moment. I want them to feel like they matter and that they can self-determine what life looks like for them. It seems like you have have this mindset from a young age. You know, you are so passionate about this subject of domestic violence and moving forward. And and that with that being said, that's how you and Man Ford came about to really encourage more men to become active partners in ending domestic violence. Tell us why it is important for men to be involved. Yeah. Um, so I think it really stemmed from like going, answering the question in, in two parts, I want to say is that um, we did a training and we, for men in the community here in the Twin Cities and um, brought some Asian men together. And at the end of it, they were like, we wanted a space to, further explore masculinity, the impact of the rigid ideas of what it means to be a man in our community and the notions of what it means to be a man, that like the real rigid ideas of it, like this is, to be a man, you have to do these things, right? But like no, none of us could actually live up to that notion, neither me or you even in this conversation of like living up to it because it takes so much, right? To live up to it and to, to be that stoic and to be that, it's almost like they're asking you to be a robot there. And that you should just know how to be that. And so uh, it was, it really stemmed from that. I mean, like man forward really stemmed from that. It was like a space where men can actually come and like talk about their relationships with their dad, talk about their relationships with uh, the woman in their lives. Um, and it was a space where men can unfold and learn those things and learn how to be uh, in healthier relationships with other men and other boys and uh, how to have more intimate relationship with, men in their lives and and then therefore then that will increase increase intimacy that they have with the women and girls in their own life as well too like that that's um what we've seen right and the other part is like it's a place where i could just go and like just share with them um openly like my own places of like shame or hurt or like and without anybody judging us because we live in a community and society where it's like I come and talk to you about my problems. You're like, oh, uh, you know, or you're like, you know, men don't behave that way. And why are you being such a wuss? And why are you being such a P-U-S-S-Y, right? Mm. And, uh, only women talk about those things. And so you'll look down on me. And then therefore I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm, I shouldn't talk about these things, right? But it's really a space for men to do that. And, and the hope is that, what that contributes to is that through that strategy, it contributes to a reduction in end to the violence that we see in the community uh, in terms of domestic violence and sexual violence, because he has a place to go. He has a place to go and do that and to practice a different way of being healthy, practice a different way, a new way of understanding what manhood looks like for himself and, and increases his connection to not only his family, but to other people who, who he's in relationship with. Therefore, then it reduces him choosing violence, right? Because he understands what is in his control and that he can't expect other people to be doing things for him or he can't be expecting other people to like love him if he doesn't even know how to love himself. And I'll give you an example there is that uh, many men, men, men who are like our father's age in their 50s and 60s come through my domestic violence program and we talk about love a lot. And 
and they're always talking about love as a transactional thing because as men and boys that's what we're talk of we're taught is that love is just transactional i do this for you you do that for me i do this and and hopefully it'll be returned to me and if it doesn't then i'll make sure it gets returned by me forcing it on you right uh to return it to me and so uh many men come through there to and eventually they learn that oh i have to actually learn how to love myself too uh and therefore, I then can stop counting on other people to uh, love me and that I can still value myself in that too. So it's like, all oh, it could be like very um, theoretical and it could be very practical at the same time in terms of like why it's so important for men to actually get involved. But what the practical piece is, is that we need men to actually practice uh, healthy masculinity uh, and healthy ways of being men. And, and healthy relationships without choosing violence, without choosing to harm other people, knowing that they can actually only control their actions and their behaviors only, right? So it could be very deep and intimate in that way uh, in the spaces that we create, or it could be uh, it could be like, you know, stepping up and saying, uh, calling out your brothers or calling out your uncles when they're doing something that is not, you don't agree with and you know that is wrong. Like if your uncle or grandfather is marrying a 14, 13 year old from overseas or having a relationship with somebody from overseas and you don't speak up, then he's gonna say, it's okay for me to keep doing it. And when we talk to uh, boys and men, adolescent men in our community or or men our age, right? Who are in their thirties and twenties, that they're like, well, I have to show him respect. Yes, you can show him respect, but you can also say, I don't agree with what the action that you're doing, right? And this is how I talk to the men who are in their 50s and 60s. It's like, it's not that I don't respect you, but that idea and that practice behavior, I don't, I don't believe in that. And I don't support that behavior because we have to help reduce those behaviors, right? Because if we don't, then it continues the pattern of violence that we see or contributes to the violence that we see in the community. So that's why it's important for men to actually get involved. Um, it's about freeing themselves from the rigid ideas of what it means to be masculine and a man in community at the same time as well. So what is the role and responsibility they can play? Um, I, I named some of it. They can, yeah, you did. Uh, they can take active steps to really truly listen to the stories of the woman in their life. Like listen to the stories of your mom, of how your mom navigated living in a a community and a family where she was told that she was worth nothing and that she had to do all of these things to care for all these people and to um, take care of and to do all the household work and to go off home. Uh, now, you know, nowadays, like go to work and come back and still have to take care of the family. The guy goes to work, he comes back, he doesn't have to do too much to care for the family, right? Um, so I would, I always encourage boys and men to like really listen to the stories of the woman and girls in your life, like really listen to the depths of it. Like what are they sharing? What are they not sharing with you? Um, and pay attention to it uh, and really honor those stories and lift those stories up and really challenge your own, um, your own internalized thinking around like what it means to be a man and what it means to be masculine as well. Um, as the other way is like to change, to start to change your language because if you change your language and then you can change your behavior and that's like the valuing of women and girls. Like just, I'm not going to say uh, and call women the words that we call women in community anymore, right? Because then that allows me to not look at women as a property of men or to objectify them just as body parts only, right? But I'm going to fully uh, look at them and who they are as a whole person. Uh, and build spaces, like connect, start connecting with the men in your lives um, in a different way that is more intimate and more caring and more loving. And it's not to say that we don't have that, but like in a way where you're like de destroying homophobia at the same time too, right? Uh, because we have to learn how to have intimate relationships with other men in our lives. And intimacy isn't just about sex. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about intimacy in the way of like love, care, support, empathy, sympathy, all those things. Uh, so those are just uh, some things that men can initially just do for themselves uh, is to organize in their community, uh, talk with their brothers, call out the actions and the behaviors that they don't agree with, that men are doing that are harmful, not participate in giving money 
to uh, your fathers or grandfathers uh, or yourself to go overseas to uh, have a relationship overseas. Um, not like, not just uh, the other part of it is like the drinking. I think we have an increase in drinking of alcohol consumption and rituals and things like that in our community these days. And part of that is due to collective trauma, but the other part of it is due to like the men think that that's the way out now in some ways, you know. Mm-hmm. Now with Ford and Man Ford, let's all move forward. But and think forward, you know. But what does Man Ford do in the community? So what we used to do is we used to do a lot more community conversations and dialogue where we would invite men from the community, from the local Twin Cities here to really talk about these issues that you and I are talking about here, the vast ways and the ways in which these issues also impact the lives of men and racism, how they impact the lives of Hmong men, uh, all of those things. Uh, and just have a meal at somebody's house and and do and invite those men. And then we would have our, our more intimate setting where we would invite um, men in our own lives to continue to have that conversation because it's just not a one-time thing in order to support people to sustain that behavior change and to, to sustain that new way of thinking or being. You continuously have to have places where people can go to get that support. And so we were doing that and then we did some community education awareness and workshops at colleges and universities um, and organizations to organizations who want to understand more about domestic violence and sexual violence and how they can engage men and boys as a strategy to end that. Uh, so we still continue to do some of that, but now what we want to do is we're really uh, wanting to build a more national network of um, Southeast Asian men who are like visibly speaking out about these things in their community and taking action and organizing in their own communities of other men who are like-minded uh, to, to keep continuing to explore and show visible examples of what it means to be healthy and what it means to be uh, a man that could be healthy and, and have good relationship to power, have good relationship to privilege uh, in community. And then we do, uh, now we also do um, like a, what we call accountability healing circles is that we talk with men when they commit harm and the survivor or the victim isn't choosing to call the police on them and they reach out, the victim and survivors reach out to us or they themselves, the man reach out to us and say, hey, um, this is the harm that I committed and I, I really think that I need support and that and we walk them through that uh, that accountability process, but also helping to hear and affirm their places of hurt and harm that has happened in their own lives at the same time too. And so we create a circle around them to support them in that as well. And it's a process and it being a process, it takes up to a year, six months, two years um, of the whole lifetime too, as well working with them. Wow. I love it. Thank you so much, man, for, and dude, like we got to collaborate. This is just a, a very uh, social experiment that I want to do that I always been thinking about. It's just one of those social experiments. We're talking about a moment, uh, taking a pair of shoes from a woman and, and, and wearing it and seeing what, you know, back to what we're talking about, you know, about seeing what the eyes of what they're doing just to see and uh, what they go through. Uh, I mean, this is just an example, but just uh, having a, a traditional gathering, right? And then in some gatherings, it's like all the women do all the cooking and all the men just kind of sit around and drink beer. You know, I'm just like, well, what if we just kind of do a social experiment, and just switch the role, just so you could just see what all goes through. Uh, and, you know. Right, right. And I think that, you know, in addition to that is just um, pushing the envelope on that a little bit more is like the thing is we want to get to a place where men don't just get passionate about domestic violence or sexual violence because it's just because it's their sibling or because it's their sisters or their moms that are involved in it directly and who've been impacted in it directly. I mean, that's a great motivation for how many men get into this and are passionate about this work. Uh, but it's also um, not a motivational factor for other men as well. It's like, I've, we've heard and seen fathers where it's like, 
they were like, oh, I just that's why, right? And what's on the good you know, right? And we've seen that happen where uh, she would want to seek support and she goes to her family and her family's like, no, you did wrong, even though she didn't do wrong. And they like abuse her more and are more violent to her. So how do we get to a place where you just as men, you know, we as men just value women and girls for who they are without having any relationship to them? Right. It yeah, is the mere yeah. fact that because we don't have, this is what my friend always says, um, Kashua always says, is that because we live in a community where we were just taught, like, as men, we were taught that anybody that doesn't have our last name, we can date and, and objectify and do whatever with. And girls and women were taught that any, woman, any man that's not related to them by blood or by last name is going to be uh, a potential suitor to them. That's what we were taught. And then we weren't taught like how to have relationships with uh, a woman. We weren't taught that. We were just taught that uh, we're going to be in, in relationship in this way only. And that way, meaning like um, in a sexual and attraction way only. And that you can't have relationship. No other relationship can exist other than those kinds of relationships. That's what I'm trying to say mm. as well, you know. And so therefore yeah. then... Um, that's why men goes to my point about like how do we start seeing the value of women's worth for who they are without being attached to them and you know just to just to, uh, to you know have my own thoughts on this too and, and you're right it's only kind of like a transaction for a sexual transaction you know being just courting this girl and marrying her but but what I'm trying to say is like it, Mom and dad doesn't see like she's just a friend, and and then and some don't believe that, you know. Mom and dad's like that's not possible, and like she's not your girlfriend. I'm like, no, mom, she's just a friend, right? You know, because right. it's just one way to see like if this is a girl that you brought home, like this is your girlfriend. Like, no, mom, she's actually a really good friend of mine. Well, you know? and your your male friends probably don't even think believe that either because they're at some point they're going to be like, well, when are you going to get into her pants? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, because so, they're going to want to know that at some point, right? Yeah, they're going to be like, when are you actually going to get like, when are you going to give up this game, this friendship game, and like actually get into it? like? So we do it to each other, you know. In addition to mom and dad doing it to us and community doing it to us, but then like. Mm. boys and men prep each other in that way and push each other in that way and, and and if you don't do it then they're like oh why are you such a whatever right and and like she's there you know she's free and she's open why are you like wasting your time on other people or whatever right so like all these things come into play of like um enforcing that idea again of like men should only be with women and women should only be with men sort of a deal about like sexual intimacy can only happen that way only, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. So that, that again, the homophobia comes into play. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now you've been doing this for quite a while and very passionate about this. Are you able to give us statistics, numbers on domestic violence, cases against women slash men, outcome the increases versus the decreases in case well so um i don't have those numbers in front of me but what i always know to be true and this is true across the board in any community is it's always one in four women one in four women in their lifetime will experience domestic violence or sexual violence or some kind of violence it doesn't matter where you are as a woman in the world uh, what country you are, whether you come from a first world country, whether you come from a third world country, whether you're Hmong or not Hmong, one in four. So if you think about that, uh, and I think about that as like, we each, each one of us knows four women, mother, grandmother, sister, aunt. One of those had experience. If you have four sisters, one of your four sisters will experience that in their life. So that's what we know to be true. And that's always the stats that um, we always share out uh, for um, for boys and men. It's um, a little bit more than that, 
and I think it's like one in 10 or one in six, some, somewhere in that range of uh, either experiencing sexual violence or domestic violence. Uh, but the number uh, for domestic violence, sometimes I think that that we have to be more critical about looking at that number and those stats uh, that are being collected in terms of who's collecting it and where that data is coming from. Uh, but for the one in six, uh, for boys who've experienced sexual violence, they always, the number is always one in six who've actually experienced it. Now, I think in the, like in the home community, when we're looking at our own community, uh, there's a couple places and resources like the API Institute on Gender-Based Violence does a lot of research and um, a lot of uh, collecting data. And so you can always go on their website and look. And in fact, they actually just came out with a fact sheet on domestic violence and sexual violence in the Hmong community uh, last month. Uh, oh, wow. And I don't have the fact sheet in front of me at this moment. We're going to dig that up and uh, yeah. we're going to post it with this, this, this chat. Yeah. So they did some surveys and things like that that's specific to the Hmong in, in Minnesota and in California. Cool. Mm -hmm. Well, um, man, I could talk to you all day about this. This is such a strong subject that we've been wanting to talk about. You know, please share anything else we, the community, need to know, man. For example, a myth buster? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think one of the things is that we always tend to think of this issue as a man versus woman issue. But if people can really listen to this, uh, to the conversation you and I had, it may sound like that and it may appear like that, but it's really not about men versus women because men versus women isn't going to get us anything. And equality isn't about that. Uh, isn't about like a woman can, a woman should be able to carry a hundred pound bag of rice because men can do it. That's what the moment come to us and say, right? If you know, you're not like, that's not what we're talking about in equality. If you're really looking at the Hmong community in terms of like, what equity could look like. It's really about um, like, did you do your role? Did you do what you needed to do in order for uh, the women and girls in your community to actually thrive? And the example that I'll give you there uh, that's really concrete is that like my grandfather never cooked in his life for, for our family, right? He would cook for himself here and there um, and for the kids here and there when he babysat the kids, but like for the entire family, he would never do that. It, would always, it was always my grandmother. But he always knew that he had that the knives needed to be sharp so she could do her work, right? He always knew that he had to go and carry the wood to bring it into the house so that she can actually do the cooking, right? So um, when we're looking at equity, like in our community, we're looking at going back to that balance and harmony. And I think that Hmong people have really sophisticated and really intricate ways about understanding about what harmony and peace looks like in our community, but we've yet to actually like actualize that into practical ways for us to actually really understand that this is actually what we're talking about. We're not talking about men versus women and that men should do this and women should do that. Uh, no, we're really getting to a place of like, how do we actually get to a place where all the people in our community are valued, but their lives are actually valued and their worth is actually valued, uh, not just men's right not just boys only and it and it and we're naming that and we're saying that at this moment because that's what is actually happening in the community and so individually men may say i am not worth anything or my life is like but uh, we're talking we're not talking about specific lives of men we're talking about the collective uh practice of how men are valued we're talking about the collect collective practice of how we support men and uplift men when men do harm in the community because they just get a slap on the wrist because everybody was like um, telling her to push in the eight, right? Or he raped her. And so the practice is like, now he gets to marry her because he raped her. And that's like really detrimental to the person who's experienced the harm from him, right? And so mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about like um, the individual lives of the men. There are places and spaces where we do talk about that. But when we're talking about changing here and looking at the root causes of domestic violence and sexual violence, 
we're really talking about like changing this collective system that we're all living under, you know? And the other part of it is like, yes, I, I want to acknowledge that yes, um, women and girls do enforce uh, these rules in community too, right? But, but we have to look at who benefits from that. Who benefits from the enforcement of these rules? Who benefits from uh, the mother-in-law or the mom telling Tunsai to Oshindai? He benefits. He, he benefits when she tells the uh, mother tells her daughter to Oshindai and to go home and maybe or maybe uh, he is the one that benefits from right so yeah, we have to look agreed. at like yes women are enforcing these things and and girls are also enforcing these things but it is actually the men who are the beneficiaries of that enforcement and of that violence because they get to actually be lifted up still and their lives actually get to be taken care of they get to still eat at the end so, you know, there's a whole host of things, uh, but those are some of the things that I wanted to share too, just for those who are listening, is that that's not the conversation we want to have is men versus women, or women do it too. And, and, and so why are we telling the men to not do it? You know, But we have to really look at the starting place of it and where it comes from and what, what in, in our community allows for that to happen. Mm-mm-mm. Wow, this is so powerful, Peng. I can't appreciate your time. It is an amazing discussion, amazing chat, and so much knowledge. I want the Hmong men and Hmong boys out there to really key in and listen to this, and Hmong women too, to see you know, our discussion on this. Again, thank you so much, Peng. And keep doing what you do, man. Charge forward oh, and again, you. man forward. Yes, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity for conversation. Take care. Yep. Wow. What a full hour of content. Thank you so much, Payne, for your time. If you haven't yet, checked out our website at w.momentalk.com or Facebook, Talk. And lastly, let's thank our sponsors. Electrician Consultant, who also believes in building family values. She believes not only in investing in your future, but also investing in your present moment, creating time and memories with your family. If you have any insurance needs or any questions, please don't hesitate to call her. Also, a special thanks to DJ Peter for using his beats. You can check them out at YouTube.